Hey sis, hey bro. I'm Arcia and I'm so excited to share space and time with you. A Note From Stokes is a podcast for black and brown millennials as we navigate the world in which we occupy. Let's get into it. Hey y'all, it's Arcia here and I'm so excited to share space and time with you. I'm excited to talk with you guys and just share. Um, This is episode three and um, this is going to be It's going to be a good episode, kind of heavy, but it's going to be a good episode. Um, And we are discussing childhood trauma. Um, The specific topic for this is how to win in life while navigating childhood trauma. Um, I think that childhood trauma kind of that term kind of gets tossed around a lot. Um, But we're going to talk about it. We're going to we're going to deep dive into you guys. I love saying deep dive, but we are going to dive into childhood trauma what is it how does it show up and how can we navigate life and win and not be a victim and live in victimhood and so I'm excited to um talk and share stories I'm super excited because we have a guest today and his name is Matt West I haven't known Matt that long but just from hearing his story and how he's able to just blaze in life right like he is winning in life despite his childhood trauma and I'm just and I was just inspired by his story and so I'm excited to have him with us today um before we hear from Matt I just want to give a working definition you guys know I love to start a podcast with a definition it just grounds us in what we're talking about and it creates it's a great foundation. So when we talk about childhood trauma, childhood trauma is defined as the experience of an event by a child that is emotionally painful or distressful, which often results in lasting mental and physical effects. I'm going to read that again. Childhood trauma is defined as the experience of an event by a child that is emotionally painful or distressful which often results in lasting mental and physical effects. So that is our working definition for this episode. Um, and we're going to ground ourselves in that. And so we're going to get started. Um, before we get into the episode, I just want to say, if you or someone you know struggle with childhood trauma, um, I just want to say you're not alone. I struggle with it as well. Um, and today we are going to we're going to win together. We're going to win at life and we're no longer going to allow our childhood traumas or traumas in general to dictate how we navigate and move through life. And so I'm so excited to go on this journey with you. Gen- genuinely, I'm so excited to go through this journey with you and um, aid all of us, right, in living our best potential. And so with that being said, let's get into it. Hey, Matt, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. How are you? Thank you for inviting me. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Matt West. Pleasure to speak with all of you this evening. And thank you, Arcia, and a note from Stokes for having me here. Yes, I'm excited to have you here and to share your story. Um, like I mentioned earlier, like you're so inspiring and I'm just oh, so I'm excited that you accepted the invitation to come and speak. Um, so we're just going to jump right in. Um, at the beginning of this episode, I gave a definition of childhood trauma. But what is your personal definition of childhood trauma? So I would say my definition of childhood trauma is an experience that you may not necessarily understand that you've been through at some point when you were a child, but it starts to resonate as you get older Mm -hmm. and you start navigating the world based off of an experience that you have not resolved. That's good. Right? Right? I think that's better than the one I read. (laughs) But it's based off an experience that um, you now are kind of living through and because you haven't resolved it, like 
now that's playing out in your everyday lives. So right. that can be friendships, relationships, mm-hmm. work, school. Right. It plays itself out. And that's kind of how I define trauma, childhood trauma. trauma. Okay. Thank you for that. So let's let's just jump in with the good stuff, right? Oh, so I would stuff. love to hear about an experience that really uh, traumatized you as a child. And it could be anything you want to share. Anything. So, oh, wow. Good question. I would say the one thing that is the biggest traumatizing thing for me growing up, for anyone who is learning about me for the first time or anyone who's met me before knows, um, I grew up in foster care. I spent 14 years in the foster care system. And I think the biggest trauma I really did experience growing up in foster care is the fact that when you transition from like home to home, mm-hmm. um, there's really no space um, for you to like move your things safely. Like foster care agencies come, they throw your clothes into a garbage bag mm-hmm. and you pack it up and you go to the next house. And I consider that to be a real traumatizing experience because of the simple fact that like, you feel like you're less than like your stuff is in garbage bags, like garbage mm. goes in garbage bags. And wow. like imagine being a child navigating this experience where every time you're up and you're moved, your belongings is not put in a suitcase. It's not put in like a toy like bin or something like that, like right, you would do right. if you went to college, um, but in garbage bags. And you kind of normalize like and uh, as a child, you normalize that. But as an adult, you start to realize like that's not that's not cool. Mm, right, 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 right. So how did that that experience, how did it shape the way you viewed life or relationships or trust? Uh, um, I will say, so the biggest thing for me, not necessarily just being the like garbage bag piece. Yeah. I think the being in foster care piece in and of itself has so many layers. Right, right. And I think the biggest Thing that connected to me or that I look back on now is the fact that I know where my, I guess, trust issues kind of establish or how they developed over time. Mm-hmm. Because my siblings and I'm, I'm one of five that was in the foster care system, but my siblings and I, uh, there was a space where we always just kind of wanted to be with our, our mom and wanted to right, be right. with your family but that wasn't the case and i've realized that over the course of time of being in foster care i started to develop not healthy relationships with people Mm. over the simple fact that like it was hard for me to trust them because i always felt like you would just walk out on me at any given time or promise me something and that's how i ended up developing um a pet peeve of mine which is about being late in like time I'm very like big on time and why people always late and I've realized after you know going to therapy and stuff like that like the connection between why my time is so sensitive to me and why it's Mm. so important to me and my mother not being there wow let's talk a little bit about that so tell me how time and trauma connects for you yes um so I think Time is something that you can never get back. You know, there's always posts about that. Like time continues to go on. You don't necessarily get to dictate what time has. So you're supposed to live everything in the moment. And I think growing up in the foster care system, you are in a space where your family or the family that you're with are supposed to be there to love you and take care of you and all of that. But Little do people know, or the those who do know about the foster care system, that that's not always the case, especially if you are in like some of the state systems, mm. or the ones that are not private or things of that nature. You, other things happen to you. And I realized through the five different homes that I've been in that I just wanted 
my mom, like as one of my mom, I wanted my family. I wanted that piece of me so bad. And through all of those experiences, when like I have foster parents buying stuff for their own kids, but not really buying things for us Mm. or treating me like I was other, it always kept reminding me back of the fact that I was like, you know, this isn't my family. I want my family and the idea, which is so interesting, the idea of being in foster care that you're supposed to be taken from not taken, let me be correct. You're supposed to be removed from an unhealthy situation and placed. I want to make sure I say the word place because right. that's how they encourage the word or how they actually, you know, put it out there that sure. you're supposed to be placed mm-hmm. in a home where you're supposed to be loved and treated like family. Right, right. And that's not really the case in a lot of the experiences of children in foster care. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have that experience. We actually experience more trauma to the wow. point that some of us probably was like, I would have rather been home with the situation I was dealing with rather than being here going through things like sexual assaults and all of that type of stuff. So, And and I feel like that's a lot to unpack in and of itself, right? Mm -hmm. I love what you said. Like, they're supposed to remove you from an unhealthy situation and place you in a much healthier situation. Um, And this isn't the first time I heard this, but a lot of kids, they don't experience that. And like you said, they would rather much so be with their family as opposed to being with a family experience experiencing the trauma because i feel like a lot of times like when you talk about foster foster care or or these foster homes or foster families they make it seem like when they remove you from your home you're going to live in this utopia and everything is going to be amazing because the pictures show you that yeah 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 but that's not everyone's story okay so with that at what point did you realize that you needed help? At what point did you realize, like, wow, like, I am really lost in my trauma? Like, what was that for you? Honestly, it happened late in life. Um, I experienced a lot just being in foster care. Like, being in the system for 14 years is a long time yeah. for someone. Um, I spent all of my teenage years mm-hmm. in there, all the way up into my adult, like, beginning of my adult life. And I really did not see the error in my ways until I got older um, and was able to reflect on so many different experiences because I was just on autopilot. Like when you, some people, when they go in foster care, like it defines who they are and then like they become, you know, a product of the street and things of that nature. And then some people, some of us, we just go on autopilot. It's just like whatever happens, happens. I just Mm -hmm. need to get to the next moment the next day. And you don't necessarily realize that you are not taking care of yourself, but you're doing things that's not so healthy. You're right. not you're doing things that are not so productive for you. And right. I think when I got to the experience of being able to go away to college mm-hmm. is when I was able to kind of sit in that a little bit more because I was away from the foster homes that I've been in. And that's not to say that all the homes I've been in were terrible. Mm-hmm. So that's to say that like, you know, I've had experiences in all of them. Um, some worse than others where I've had either good foster parents and terrible like foster siblings right, or the right. environment. But when I left to go off to college is when I was able to kind of really start to think about life. Cause I think when we think about going away to college, you know, the funny thing is you start to see the world differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a level of adulthood that's attached to it. You have a level of growth, sure. I guess, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. like not as much judgment on you from like the outside world, right. in a sense, because you get to create 
a space for yourself. And right. I think reinvent yourself, right. find yourself, find your tribe. Right. And I was able to do that when I was in college. And I realized that like the relationships that I were building, some are longstanding and mm-hmm. others was like burn. Mm-hmm. And the ones that burned, I don't know why you always let that sit on my heart so much mm-hmm. all the time. I'm like, man, this person to be my friend. And then like, we have like a real bad falling out and that's it. And and how, did, how did those experiences, though, remind you of trauma? Because I know for me, um, you know, I experienced childhood trauma with, you know, my aunt raised me and I wasn't raised by my parents. And so as I got older in life and much like yourself, I didn't know that I had childhood trauma. Right. I didn't know that until I started establishing relationships. And people think that childhood trauma only comes up in romantic relationships, but they can come up in platonic relationships as well. Absolutely. And so when a friendship would end for whatever reason, I would be like distraught because it took me back to the place of abandonment and rejection. And so I would hold on to relationships, platonic and romantic, even long after they expired. So I know for me, that's how it showed up for me. So how did you navigate like relationships ending? How and how did you? Yeah. How did you how did you work through that? Honestly, I think like in my earlier stages, like they used to weigh on me so much. Like, I think when relationships were in, I was like, oh, just like my mom, like that's just mm, where that's gonna be. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, like I said, go, you go back on autopilot. Like you just be like, all right, well, another relationship down the drain, whatever, moving on to the next thing of life, right? But, but even sh- though you said whatever, whatever, as if you're like, you're passive or you don't really care, but right. did it really sit with you? Oh, it, it most certainly does. So um, I like to tell people that like, I'm very like spiritual and I recently kind of got into being able to kind of connect like my zodiac sign and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't really talk about other people's stuff, but my own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but one thing I learned about myself is that when I'm in my alone time and in my me space is when I'm most vulnerable. Mm. And I don't like people to see that side of me because when people meet me, like it's like, oh, this guy, like he's funny, he's cool, but he has like this real hard exterior, mm-hmm. right? And I have an ex- a hard exterior and a hard interior, but at the same time, when I'm just me in my own thoughts, my own feelings, mm-hmm. that's when those things sit on you. That's mm. when those things sit on me a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I start to reflect on those and I start thinking like, well, did I do something? Mm, like, what what did I do to cause this relationship to like come to this point? Do you start replaying it back in your mind? Like, oh, well, did I do this? Or maybe it was me. Right. Like, you start connecting it back to those childhood moments. And it's funny that you say that because like even when I would have my therapy sessions with my therapist, I, my therapist said to me, she said, Arcia, you always think something is your fault. You're always saying, mm-hmm. what did I do wrong? Like, I must have done something wrong. And she said, because when you were a child and your parents weren't there, at your mind, you're too young to kind of conceptualize that it had nothing to do with you. Right. And so everything has to be my fault. And so now as I've, as I've gotten older, um, prior to doing the work, right? Yeah. And prior to going to therapy, I just knew it was my fault. It had to be our It had to be. It had to be. And going through therapy made me realize there are several things to a story, right? Like it could be my fault. It could have been the other part. There could have been other variables. And so therapy helped me really look at the entire story and not just pin everything on me from trauma. Right. So. And I will say, right. So now like looking at therapy and looking at your mental health, I am so much of an advocate for it Mm -hmm. but back then not so much and this goes back to the trauma piece because i know like you and i we had like you know a conversation about something that happened to me when i was younger and y'all it's gonna get a little dark just for people to know to preface what's getting ready to happen so 
when I was younger, fresh into the foster care system, I was in my third foster home at that time. Um, I was sexually assaulted mm -hmm. by another young man who lived in the home, yeah. who was a part of the family. I was molested at the age of nine, and that went on for two years maybe. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why I share that information with people is because Shortly after that, like when the family found out about like what was going on, like I was pointed as the person to be the blame. Mm -hmm. And the reason why was the fingers were pointed at me was because um, this is a kid that had mental health um, concerns. Like and a lot of the times, like they're not seen as like someone that could do such thing. Like, like, the like right. Like you take advantage of them right. like that. It can never happen in reverse. And I was like dude, I'm like nine years old. Right. Like, how can I take advantage of something or someone that I don't really have a connection or an experience with? Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the first things that came out of that was them putting me in therapy. And while I was in therapy, I remember both my foster parents at the time, foster parent at the time, and some of the caseworkers and things like that, they would share to people that... Like what had what had occurred, and they would share from a one sided version of the story. They would share that, oh, Matthew went on to do this, and he was touching this boy and doing all of these things, and I'm just sitting there like, that's not what happened, and right, right. and that I, must have felt crazy. Like you were sexually, I was molested. You, you were like, molested, right? Yes. And. And not only were you molested, then you have people questioning your authenticity. Yes. Like, so how was that? And that's the that was like one of the biggest like that's a very difficult thing to navigate. And I think even now as an adult, like I'm, I've been able to move past that and talk to people about it. But it was difficult at the time because of the fact that there was these families that I was expected to be like, oh, you my family, like I'm in this home. Right. And my biological brother lived with me at that time. And I remember that when this occurred, it was like he chose them, like the foster family over his own flesh and blood. I was like, dude, we, you're my older brother. If anything, mm -hmm. you know what's happening to us in these homes. And like you, you're choosing to be on this side. At least that's how I took it. That's my truth. That's how right, I right, experienced right. That, that moment. So was that a breach for, a breach of trust for you? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that was just another one of those moments where I'm just like, well. Yet again. Yet again, here we are. Mm. Right. And that was at the early stages. Like, this was, like I said, fresh into the foster care system. And that was what I could remember of a relationship. And I think one of the challenges that came with that was my therapist, um, to bring it back. And the biggest thing with her was that, like, I felt every time we spoken, it felt like it was a like there was a target on me. Like, mm -hmm. I like every time we had a conversation, mm -hmm. it was like, well, tell me about this experience. Like, what part did you play? Like mm -hmm. the ownership, like, you know, the ownership piece. And I felt like that really broke my trust with therapy because this is my first experience. This is a traumatizing experience for me as a kid. And my family has turned on me. The foster family I live with has turned on me. The foster care agency went with what the foster family said about me and now my therapist. Wow. And, and you were how old? Nine? Nine. Like nine years old. And I still had to go to therapy. So let's walk through this for a second. <laughs> so not only were you molested, mm -hmm. you were accused as being the aggressor. Yes. 
you went to therapy mm-hmm. and your ther- your therapist at the time was very accusatory and essentially you felt like she was pointing things at you as well. Right. Not to mention your brother didn't believe you. Right. So that's a lot for you to, and I don't know at that at that age if you had the words to understand what was truly going on, but you had feelings. Oh yes, that's exactly what it was. It was the feelings. Like me saying what I'm saying to you all now is different than what was going in. I'm able to put into words what was happening because at nine you're not able to articulate what had occurred sure, because you're sure. confused. Like when that situation, like when the family found out like the way they found out that this was happening it made it appear as though it was on me like the way Mm. that they pointed the picture but to me i was a confused kid i remember i ran to my room i was sitting there in tears crying like i don't understand what's happening this had been going on for quite some time now at this point and y'all kind of the moment that you find out about it this is my any sexual experience at that for that matter and the fingers are pointing here. And I'm like, well, I'm confused. Why me? Like, right. why? Like, I can explain to you exactly when this kind of, like, started to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, what was happening. But you can't really, like, you're not taking my word for it right. because of the fact that he is a part of your family. Right. And you, because he has some mental health concerns, he couldn't be able to he's unable to be able to do what to, to do had such happened. A thing. But when you do the research, right, you know, when you do research, it's very common that yes. like, you know, um, some, some individuals who live with, you know, learning differences, like will do these things, but not necessarily out of spite, but like sometimes they don't know better. They don't know, right. you know, the right from wrong or their experience of it. But I will, only learned that about learned about that in my adult years mm, and i was able right. to rehash back that moment and i was just like wow like only if this family knew that this could exist or maybe they did know that this could exist and just was like in denial about it I was like oh it's you like but you're I not one of you, us i love that you said you 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 didn't know this until you did your research as an adult right right and i find that when, when it comes to childhood trauma sometimes it takes us going backwards to yes. go forward yes and so i love that you said that and Earlier you mentioned like not really having the words for it. And I think that goes back to our definition because when we talk about childhood therapy, childhood trauma, it's an experience that that is painful and distressful for a child. Right. And if you know anything about distress, sometimes you don't even have the words. It's just a heavy feeling. Right. Yep. And so, yeah, that um, and a, a lot of kids who experience trauma growing up, we, we don't we, they don't have the words. I know I didn't have the words, but I know nope. I felt like crap. I felt abandoned. I didn't feel seen. Sometimes I didn't feel heard. Adults. Yes. Yes, and if you if you go through life um, and not address those things, it'll just continue to affect you as you absolutely as you get older. And so, I guess that leads me to my next question: um, What was the work? What did you do? What was the work? Um, so the work came after a really dark time in college. Mm. So, um, I to kind of jump the story to more not modern day, but at least in the last ten years. Uh, so I jumped. I'm jumping forward to college. I was able to kind of free willingly reinvent myself. Like we said, right. We got to um, relive moments and in college, you know, I came out as bisexual and 
it was and like a moment. Kudos mo- to you for Thank having you. the courage to do so. Oh, girl, well, the brother's gay now, so that's okay. just where that's going to be. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, black Period. gay and proud. Okay. But at the time, no, I really did, like, you know, genuinely, like, you know, date women and date men and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that, not in some like hiding type thing, but at the time. You know, um, you know, I came out as bisexual and I had this attraction to this one young man at my um, undergrad institution and I was really for him. Like, I was like, man, I like this one. This one's cool. But like, <laughs> like it was is. weird. That's he, my person. Right. But it was weird. Like, it was like one of those things because the hard thing about that situation was that like uh, we were like one of those. So like on your last uh your last podcast you mm-hmm. talked about situationships yeah. oh, and that's pretty much what that was mm-hmm. it was just very much like and it wasn't as crazy mm-hmm. like as like some people would say the situationships go but it was just us spending time together yeah that was really for like i was a virgin in the gay world mm-hmm. so like i was like kind of learning and experiencing through him like different things right. and he made me feel important he made me feel significant although he was dating all these other people under the sun mm-hmm. um I always felt like, you know, we had this connection and he actually ended up becoming like one of my best friends. Um, It wasn't until uh, my junior year of undergrad where he took his own life and Mm. it was like a really distraught period for me. Like, this is my best friend. Um, And I was a part of a friend group. We were a a trio Um, and uh, we all connected based off of trauma, which is interesting. Trauma bonding. Right. You know how um, a lot of black folks do. We tend to connect based off of trauma. But yeah, I was a part of um, this group. It was the three of us. And um, my friend Brian, that's his name, uh, rest his soul, um, took his life. And me and my friend Antoine, who I actually met through Brian, we started to become like stronger friends because we met through him. And we started to hang out more and stuff like that. And I remember like time would go by, like months would go by and things would be like dark right for me and I would not want to speak to anyone I literally only spoke to one of like my really good friends and one of um and Antoine and I want to say like maybe like my sister at most like Mm -hmm. and I really couldn't put into words what was happening I just know I had all of these feelings it wasn't until um, my friend Antoine asked me one day this was like probably like a year or two after um Brian passing when he was like were you in love with him? And I was just like, what? Cause like, it was just, I wouldn't let it go. Right. Like it was just like right. one of those ones I was like, I couldn't let it go. Mm. And for some reason I didn't understand why. I was just like, why am I, obviously, you know, suicide in and of itself is gonna be difficult for anyone. Very traumatic. But for some reason I wouldn't let that moment like that go. And for some reason I was just always being these moments where I'm just crying about it all the time. And it wasn't until he had asked me about that, that I kind of had to start thinking about it. And I was just like, did you like unintentionally mm. like fall in love with someone that you never like really ever got the chance to say that to? Right. And you start look thinking back up all the things that you had together, stuff like that. And it's like, and that was not on some like real sexual crazy stuff for right, anyone right. who knows me and New Brian, but more on the like, intimate intimate pieces that sure. doesn't necessarily mean sex right of course um, yeah. and I'm I glad think, you said that right because I think a lot of people think intimacy and they think sex I was right. like no it was beyond that right. and I think that's what I had to reflect on and after kind of really putting that um, to pieces I was like yeah no I can't be like this anymore I'm just kind of going through these moments mm. in life and just letting these things 
um, transpire. And also, you know, here's this now moment where I'm kind of stuck in this dark place and I'm just not getting out of it. So when you were in that dark place, so you are grieving and mourning over the loss mm-hmm. of your friend. What how did that connect to the childhood trauma? Did it feel like everything just was on you that like in that one moment you just felt the weight of everything? All these were unresolved issues. What was that like for you? So I think in that moment, I felt like there was like really no hope in the world Mm. because of the fact that I've said like several times in this in on this podcast conversation that everything connected back to like my mom and like feeling people always leave you. Wow. So, you know what I mean? Right. You know, it's like this, this connection to loss. It's like, all right, cool. Well, she did this, this person did this. And now like, here's another, like another one, but this is not on him now. Right. You know what I mean? Like this was never on him. And I will always make that very clear, but internally, like, you know, I had lost someone that I loved and that I care about. I was like, dang, I'm never allowed to like have love or be loved Mm. or like, have those kind of connections in those relationships because every time I get close to someone or even have like, you know, a strong inkling conversation or relationship, whether that be platonic or romantic, it just ends in loss. And I was like, you know what? I can't keep thinking like this because, you know, I am someone that was suffering with depression and like his action made me kind of start thinking like, well, maybe like this isn't the place like place for me to be anymore mm. in a sense. And, you know, I've always had thoughts like that even as a kid, but like, I think after that and knowing someone like personally sure. that took their own life, you kind of question that a little bit too. You're like, well, maybe like there was a point behind this and maybe mm. I'm not getting this. Mm. And I knew then I was like, yeah, you can't, you can't be like this anymore. Right. And that's when I finally like made the decision. Like, you know what? It's been years since I've seen a therapist. Um, it had been well over a decade since then. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this one more try. Mm. And I'm um, sure that had to be hard to do, seeing as though the last therapist you had, your last experience. Um, I was a child. You were a child. And she was very accusatory. So there had to be a certain level of courage and bravery to even try this again. Right. Yeah. But that's something that, and we'll probably get into this a little bit later, that you kind of learn as an adult that, like, you know, it's okay to put to try something out again. Mm. Like, because sometimes it's wrong time, wrong place. Yeah. And not every experience like that needs to end at that moment. Sure. Sometimes you need more time to get back into it. And it should not have gotten to the point of me, you know, losing my best friend for that to happen. So I took that time to move forward. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to try this for me. Like, I'm just going to try it out. And I remember that um, I met this therapist when I was in my last year of graduate school. And she was a school therapist. So she was um, in the doctoral program there. But she was doing the, you know, therapy sessions and counseling sessions as a part of her uh, processes and procedures in a program. And I remember when I had spoken to her, like she was like, wow, you're an open book. And the weird part about it is I'm naturally like that. Like I have no problem sharing my experience with people. I have no true, problem. Cause like our second time hanging out, I think you just, you like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, girl, you know, like, <laughs> but the way I talk about it now, right. It's so different. Cause like the way I'm sharing it to you all, like on the podcast is to like add context. But if you were to ever meet me in person, I would say it as if it was like a normal conversation. Right. And the reason why I do that and why I kind of took that notion to be that way with a therapist is because I realized that what is there for me to lose? Right. right? I'm in this really dark place in life and I'm this open book, as I love to say. So in order for me to get to that place in life, 
mm-hmm. why not just you know shed that armor and mm. be able to say like let's do the work and let's give this an actual try right right because i'm a firm believer in like you know once you bring your like organic and authentic self into a space then you can do the work wow And I think that is one of the biggest things that people tend to like forget that we show up to therapy. We show up to things with a guard up like all of the times because of, you know, the traumas and the things that put us there. Sure. And it doesn't mean that like, oh, if I were to just tell them everything today, like it's going to change tomorrow because I mean, life would be great and easy if it was that way. But I just wanted to take off that extra layer for myself. I was like, you know what? What is there for me to lose? Either A, you're going to be for me or against me. But I've gotten so much further in life at this point Mm -hmm. that I'm sharing this with you because I really want help and Mm -hmm. I really want the work to happen. I want to stop you there. Like, I think something important that you said is you really wanted the help. And I think you got to get to a point with trauma um, you got to get to a place where it's like, I'm tired. Right. I'm tired of running from it. I'm tired yep. of not acknowledging it. And so at this point, what really do I have to lose? Right. And when it comes to doing the work, I think it's good to, you know, let people know when you think about like self-care or like doing the work, seeing a therapist, that's that shit is hard. Very much. Harsh. And a lot of people think like, oh, like I'm doing the work and I'm going to therapy and I'm going to do self-care things and go to the spa. Like, no, like it's hard. You really got to see yourself. Right. It's, a, it's like putting a mirror in front of yourself and you're seeing the good, the ugly, the bad and the indifferent. And yes. so say that piece. OK. OK. Like you see it all. Yeah. And I think when you unveil that piece and I think anyone that has gone to therapy or you're like you know, abides by utilizing these types of supports when they got to that point in their therapy sessions and they realized like, wow, like, you know, I'm pretty much just like a butterfly, like, you know, fresh out, you know, my cocoon in a sense. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, this huge weight is lifted off of your shoulders. You've already now kind of got to this place where I'm actually going to be able to do the work. I'm actually going to be able to do the thing that I worked so hard to hide my whole life. Mm. And you start to see the benefit of that work. But it's consistent work that you have uh -uh. to do. Listen, say it again. It's what work? It is consistent work that you have to do. Because I think people think like, oh, I'm just going to go to therapy and then I'll change what's going on. I was like, no. Like, you go to therapy, you might get homework assignments, you might get things. And like, you have to work at that and right. i think so when i when i was going to therapy the second time around and she was like oh you know what? i want you to like write in your journal when these things happen like oh like when you get frustrated in something like write down the moment where that happened right. so like you know when you go back and you read it you start reflecting back on those pieces you're like oh wow like you're starting to learn like triggers new triggers old triggers and actively choosing how you want to respond to them each time. I love that you said triggers because that brings me to my next point, right? So you have triggers. You have triggers. Yes. When the work isn't done. Yes. And then you have triggers when the work is done. Yes. And I want people to know, no matter whether you do the work or not, triggers are ever present. They will always be there. Your reaction to them is what changes based on the work. So I want you to tell me how, give me how, give me an example of how a trigger affected you before the work and then how you navigated that. Tr- yes. Look at you smiling. I had, to, I, had to, I had to like sit back and be like, ooh, I love triggers. So I'm going to connect it back to the same piece that I said at the very beginning about time. Right. Okay. So I, as a person, anyone who knows me knows, like I'm typically always early, never late. And a big trigger for me has always been when people show up late to things. Okay. 
And because it connects me back to, you know, that experience of feeling like I'm being abandoned, not wanting mm-hmm. to be loved, stuff like that. So that's a trigger for me right, every right. time without fail, even right. to this day. Yeah. And I love that trigger, you said that. Right. Because like you said, triggers don't go away. They just, you know, sometimes they evolve. They like they, sh- they manifest and show up in different ways. Right. But for me, like, you know, when people show up late to things, it really like used to bother me. It became like a huge pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. And um, now as like an adult, as I am now, like. I'm able to kind of articulate that to somebody ahead of time. So, you know, you, when you're meeting either a friend, a platonic friend, or mm-hmm. like a potentially intimate or romantic partner, mm-hmm. and people talk about like, you know, what are your triggers? And I say like, you know, so one of my biggest things are like people who show up late, right? And part of the reason why I have this issue is because um, that con- to me connects back to an experience of being abandoned from mm-hmm. my mom and from my family. But I do also know now is that like I also want to give you time and grace to explain yourself and mm. explain like kind of what happened because life happens, right? right. Like because before I used to get mad when people show five minutes late, ten minutes late. Like and, and it's like you took it very personal. Like this right. is a personal attack against me because right. you're late. Right. It's like how dare you? Like how are you late to like hang out with me? If you don't want to hang out with me, just say that. Like something <laughs> like that, right? But when it don't necessarily have to be right. That, and, right? and a lot of times it's not really about you right? right we internalize that and we and you said that your therapist said sometimes it's not really about you yes it's really about the situation in that person it's about them it's not but about like when, you but that trauma that, that that trauma when you're in that constant loop you're like you're reliving childhood trauma it's like right. it must be me it must be me it must be me right but then a work allows you to say this one ain't on me i was like, like this one's not you right. like life happened like oh something happened to their car or like you got stuck in traffic right. or like you know there are things in life that just naturally happen that right. you don't have control over right. and that is why one of the active things in work that i choose to do is allowing moments to occur and realizing that like there are things that you have that's called like your sphere of control or your mm. circle of control. Teach us. And circle the circle of control means like you can write down everything that you actively have control over in mm. situations. So, for example, you have control. Most people have control over their attitudes every single day. Right. Right. And for me, when someone shows up late, though, I can do one of two things. I can either a go off on them mm-hmm. or b realize that like I can't control time. I cannot control what happened to that person. Right. I can only control how I'm about to react mm. to this person's lateness. And the benefits of utilizing the sphere of control allows you to think about all of the things that happening, like that happen in your life that you physically can control. Right. Because you can't control what happens to somebody else. Like you don't live in their body and yours at the same time. Sure. So therefore the idea of the circle or sphere of control people like to um, say is like anything on the outside are things that you cannot control, like right. intangible. Like, for example, you can't control, in a sense, how your supervisor treats you. Right. right? You can control if you want to stay at that job, right. but you can't control how you're like, you know, right. that thing. Um, you cannot control how. Someone reacts to your trauma, mm-hmm. right? But what you can do is control how you respond to their reaction, sure, right? Sure. And I think for me, one of the biggest things in this and choosing like my circle of control is me choosing happiness every day, mm. which connects back to all of these other pieces, yeah. right? Because when we are in a depressive state, when people are depressed and they're really going through it, 
a lot of times we don't see a light at the end of tunnels. Like yeah. we feel like, you know, why me? It's always me. I never get a break. Right. Like, why did my life end up this way? And for me, I actively chose to now as an adult to ch- I choose happiness every day. Like I wake up every day, even mm-hmm. when I am not having the best of morning. I had the least amount of sleep. I was drunk, hungover, whatever the case may be. <laughs> I wake up every morning and I choose one thing Mm -hmm. that I am grateful for. And I let that one thing shine the light on the whole day. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times it's easy for us to pick at the things we do wrong. For sure. We'll be like, oh, I didn't do this. Oh, I did this. Oh, the food didn't come out this way. Like soon as that one thing go wrong on that day, our whole day gets messed up. up, Right. right? right, right. So I choose the one thing that went right in that day. And I'm like, you know what? Well, you know what, at least I really did get to like close out my emails today. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I have two, 300 emails. Like let me, like I, I closed out my emails today. Yeah. Yes, you know, my boss was this way or my friends was this way or whomever um, or something happened to my account or whatever the case may be. But I, I was able to like get this assignment done or I was able to get in contact with someone who I hadn't spoken to in a long time. Mm. Like. That is how I hold on to positivity. Sure. And I think that's one of the biggest things of what I feel like connects me to so many people mm-hmm. is that like I intentionally choose positivity every single day. Right, right. Anytime I meet someone like I meet like outwardly people like, wow, that man looks really aggressive. But then you hear me talk <laughs> and you hear me connect with you and people's like, wow, like. I like this one. Like, right. what is it about him? And I was like, because I choose positivity every day. Right, like, right. I wake up every morning. Like, even when my hair is not cut and I'm looking a little jacked up, I was like, okay, we're going to try something with this. You know, throw a hat on this. We're going <laughs> to change a little earring. Maybe my outfit, like, step that up. You mm-hmm. know, walk, walk like you own the space that you're in and realize that, like, when you can start connecting back the fact that you do have control over the attitude that you choose every day things seem so much more lighter than it used to um and like we've said like that comes with active work right i've been doing this for years like Mm. i've been doing this the last couple of years um choosing happiness every day Mm. and some people and choosing positivity every day and some people they don't like that some people do not like that at all. They're like, why do you always got to see this silver lining in things? Like, why can't I just be in this? I was like, because when you're bringing that energy over here, mm-hmm. that's not okay for me. Right. Right. And it's okay to tell somebody that. Like, I'm not in a space to receive the energy that you're bringing off. Just like you're not in a space to receive the positivity that I'm trying to mm-hmm. bestow upon you and the optimism. I'm not also in a space to receive this negativity because people don't realize that negativity is so infectious it is and when someone is being negative around you you know i realize that like you start to get a little groggy you start catching an attitude so i'm like no just kill them with kindness you know i'm like you know what you're right i should not be bringing this to you but i will i know a lot of you don't matter sometimes it's hard to kill people with kindness because sometimes i'm like i'm on whatever you want i'm on whatever type of energy and time that you want but see you can be that way but also be positive right like because they're like oh like they have an attitude like this listen i'm like i see i'm gonna on i'm gonna match your energy right now and Put that same energy level in a positive way because right. it's really gonna it's really going to impact them some way, shape, or form. Right. They're gonna walk away from that space and question. They're like, "Well, what the hell did wrong with them? Did I do something wrong to them?" Right, right. Like, oh, like I was mad at Arcia, and all of a sudden, like Arcia just was like, "All right, well, I understand that you're upset and things of that nature, but however, like you know, if you really want to speak to me, like let's have a conversation. Right. But I don't think this is not nor the time nor the place." 
for you to receive what I'm saying to you or for me to receive what you're saying. So let's reconvene another time. Right. That being said, enjoy your day. Right. And you just move on. Right. You don't enable. You don't engage, right. You don't, right. you don't poke the bear. You don't engage the situation in a negative way because you know what the outcome of that is going to be. Right. So it is a way right. to like, you know, kill people with kindness. Right. It is a way to. And not give your power away. Right. Because right. you have the power to control yourself. Right. And. I love the, the example of the, um you said sphere. Spear, I can't say. How do you say it? Oh, the sphere of control. Just say it again. Sphere. Like, sphere. Sphere. <laughs> I can't say it. It's the same. Just say the circle. circle the circle of control. <laughs> the circle of control. The circle of control. I love that. And though. I think everybody should practice that. Like yeah. everyone should actively practice like a circle of control where like you literally take a sheet of paper, mm-hmm. you draw a circle and put in the inside all the things that you actively have control over. Right. People have a hard time writing that down because they don't know it. Like they're like, mm-hmm. so like I give people examples like you have the power to choose your attitude right. every day. Um, I feel like that's the biggest thing that should go into the circle because how you react to situations is how everything on the outside is going to impact you. But here's the thing. Like I find, I feel like if people actually took the time to do this circle of control, it'll be hard for a lot of people. Why? Because a lot of people move based on other people. Yes. So a lot of people, we have control over things. We don't think we have control of. Have you ever heard like, um, well, um, people get upset for me acting this way, but I'm only reacting to what you said or what you did. Right. Somebody could say something crazy or do something crazy, but you still have control over you. Right. You know, so. Because it co- also comes back to that space that we were talking about. Like, sometimes it's not about you. Like, mm-hmm. sometimes your reaction to somebody else is not. Right. You know, it's you t- internalizing what they said and not like taking it at the face value. Right. And therapy causes you, it, it helps you to question yourself. Absolutely. Is this person really trying to harm me or is this something, or is this trauma? Is right. this is person this really trying to offend me by showing up late or whatever the case may be? Or is this, am I having a reaction to this based off something that happened years ago? So therapy allows you to really assess the situation to see what it really is and question it. Right. And connect those dots too. Cause mm-hmm. sometimes we don't see the connection between two things. Yeah. And I love the fact that you said like like how we're always talking about the connection with other people because our relationships with other people always will always impact how we see ourselves, Mm. how we view ourselves, how we view the world. It's true. And when you're someone that was raised on survival and Mm. you were someone that like you have to get from point A to point B, I got to do this, 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 this and this, um, it becomes difficult for you to accept certain things like receive help when help is being offered Mm. to you to um, accept make genuine relationships with people because in your mind it's always like somebody always wants something from me but we don't realize that like we have the power to accept the relationship for what it's being presented to Mm -hmm. us a lot of us many of us myself included in you know years past gets will get into relationships whether that be platonic or you know intimate romantic relationships and blame the other person for things that happen to me and we all are, we're good at that right, right? of course you know because everyone we all have a villain in our stories yep. but we all also were a villain in someone else's, in somebody else's and story. we don't ever want to address that i piece. don't because in my mind i am amazing wonderful <laughs> and the creme de la creme how could i arcia right. do something how could i be a villain but the reality is we all have that like right. we, we there's somebody telling somebody that 
you know, did that this we did exactly because that's their truth that's right that's their, their experience with you it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a hundred percent true right. it may not even be like 50 percent true but like that's how they may have experienced their relationship with you right and what i had to learn to do even like in my friendships and in my um in like any kind of relationship that i have is i have to start learning like what part i play in those ooh, things that, ooh, baby. because <laughs> no that, one wants to talk about that right no one wants to that and that is growth right? right that is like what what role did i play in this especially when it comes to romantic relationships and matters of the heart right it's like all you can feel are your feelings right, right. like and your feelings tend to override everything even logic right to the point where you can't even identify where you were went wrong because like yes, no, yes, yes that nigga did x y and z all the time like. she did blah blah <laughs> blah but it's like what did you do how did you because it take two right it always takes two and it doesn't necessarily mean that you did something 100 percent wrong right. sometimes it could just be that like i allowed this to happen mm. Right. And that also is a fault. That is. Because sometimes when you're in relationships, whether it be friendships, whatever the case may be, like even your silence can be deadly. Because it could be what didn't you do? Not right. always what did you do. Right. Because right. Right, right. it's not always about that. And right. I think a lot of people don't connect those pieces all the yeah. time. Like they never think about. They always think like, well, I didn't do anything. I was like, yes, that's also a problem. You didn't do anything. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so like, that's why it's always really important for you, even like any kind of relationship when things kind of like, say, expire, like to reflect on that and think about, well, what did I do? What did I do to contribute to this? Right. Right. And start to reflect on that. And one of the things that people have a hard time doing that I've kind of learned is learning the art of forgiveness without an mm. apology, right? Because some people be like this, I want closure. I want them to tell me what they did to me or like, you know, how they've done to me. And Let I me think- Let me ask you this. Yeah. Have your parents ever apologized to you? Oh, absolutely not. And that's fine. How like, did you make peace with that? Because I've learned that at the end of the day, my parents experienced, specifically my mom, because my dad passed away when I was a child. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, my experience with my mom, I'm just like, listen, at the end of the day, like that was her lived experience, right? Mm -hmm. She, I'm not going to fault you in being a bad parent, right? I don't know what, what life was like for you growing up. I don't know what role models you had. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I know you had a lot of children. Right. And I also know that our, your children were the black sheep of your family. Mm. So obviously there's something there right and i can't fault you in that piece i was like you know you were experiencing trauma you've been through a lot of stuff but the thing is you also didn't do the work mm, back to work right you didn't do the work and probably it's because like that was never offered to you you never knew how like think about it she was having kids in like her teens into like 20s and 30s yeah. like anything is possible okay. and at the end of the day like i didn't grow up with you so i can't really say like oh this is all your fault like i can say like listen now as an adult i know that like this happened to you and i'm not going to fault you in that experience did impacting this and i think that's important that's that's a key component because with doing the work, you're able to see your your parents as human beings with yes. real feelings, who with makes proclivities, mistakes. with nuances, who makes mistakes. When you're a child, you kind of look at them at, as these superheroes, and they could never make mistakes. They're my right. parents. They're supposed to lead me and guide me. But as you get older, you realize, like, yo, my parents, they are humans trying to figure it out, too. That does not mean, that does not mean that that 
you have no trauma based on their decisions. Right. But you're able to look at it through a different lens. Right. And I think for me, the lens that I look at it now is like, it's just for, for me, it's forgiveness. Cause like, listen, there's stuff that I have not gone into detail about, mm. about like my relationship with my mother. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I look at it now as just one of those experiences where like, I have no hate in my heart for her. I think I, I hated her for a long time, mm. but I don't anymore because I was like, listen, you were dealt the cards you were given and yeah. this is how you coped. And this is how you managed through the situation. And as a result of that, you know, you lost custody of your children. Mm -hmm. Like I can only imagine what is going on in her head, even to this day, that your children, she has seven in total, five Mm -hmm. of us that went through the foster care system together, but you have seven children, all of which who've experienced some form of like loss in the family, like even my eldest siblings, like I think they were staying with like my grandparents for a while and stuff like that before like my other siblings Mm -hmm. and I, I were born, like, I can only imagine what is going on in your head. Sure. And avoidance is what you know best now, mm. right? You know, it's like, all right, cool. Like, I'm going to I'm gonna make this better. But then when the time comes, like, you avoid, right? Because you, you made promises default. that you couldn't keep and all of these things, which goes back to the time and all that sure. thing that I was sharing before. But as an adult, I'm not going to fault you in that. But I learned so much from that experience growing up as your, your son. Right. Right. And at some point, we'll probably have this conversation. I don't know. But I can tell you now at the age of 30, I'm open to having that conversation Mm. with her. I wasn't open to have that conversation four years ago. Wow. You know, but I'm open to have it now because like. I'm approach. I will approach that situation from a place of love and understanding, and knowing that, as like, as opposed to as a hatred mm, and you know resentment. resentment for things that I didn't receive, right? right? And I'm looking now as a from a place of love because, it's like, listen, I have no hate in my heart. Like, hate doesn't live here, and that's another one of those things in the sphere of the circle of control. Mm. Like, you in your heart, you know, you get to choose whether or not like you want to like hate someone, you want to love someone. And, you know, I choose love every day. Right. I told my friends I choose violence every day. But <laughs> and I, that's a choice. Too. That's, a <laughs> that's choice. a choice, too. Right. But I choose that, you know, and I choose love. Right. And by me saying violence, I'm joking. But of course, um, of course. but no, like, you know, I choose love. I choose positivity. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I choose what makes me happy most. And I want to say, like. Going back to this 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 circle of control, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times we wait on people to apologize in yeah, order for I the healing that. to begin. And with that, you are still surrendering your power because it's like, I'm not going to move on from, from this and I'm going to allow this to continue to navigate my life or impact right. my life in a, in a negative way, right? Until you apologize. And it's not hurting them, it's hurting you. Yes. And so you have to get to the point where you're able to make the decision. Whether you, If you apologize, cool, that would be nice. But even if you don't, in the absence of your apology, I am still making a choice to be okay. Yes. I'm making a choice to forgive you. Right. Because, and that's hard. That is so hard for people to do. It was hard for me to do. Right. And it took um, an ex of mine. I mean, he knows who he is, whether he listens to this podcast <laughs> or not. Hey, um, my most recent one from a um, few years back. Um, it took him, it took him getting cancer for mm. me to learn that. Mm. Like, you know, the art of forgiveness without an apology because, at the same time, like it was at that moment and it should never be that way for anyone. But it was at that moment where um, a friend, an ex friend of mine reached out to me and was like, hey, do you know that, you know, this person 
has cancer. Sure. And I remember I didn't want if like he were to pass away, I wouldn't want the nature of our relationship to be like how it ended. Mm. Like that I said some really mean things to you right. because of what you had done to me. Sure. And I remember I reached out to him. I was just like, hey, you know, I was shared that you that you have cancer. And, you know, I am sorry to hear that that happened to you. And I just want to let you know that, like, all love, all positivity. And, you know, I really wish you wholeheartedly, you know, a recovery from this. I can only imagine what you're going through. I don't really know. But I did that extending out to let him know at that moment that, like, we're not in a bad place anymore. Like, you know, I'm not, I don't harbor those feelings with you at this point because your healing is what's most important to you. And I would hate for part of the struggle in your healing be like, dang, like, what if this relationship is also like impacting negatively on things? I don't want it to be like, you're on your deathbed now. So let's like, you know, hash this out. I was like, no, let's hash this out now while you're living and let's move on from that. And I think it took that for me to Mm. really learn the art of forgiveness. Because in my mind, I thought I did. I was like, I forgave him. And then... But I feel like, like you said, you make choices, right? And I feel, for me personally, mm. forgiveness is a day-by-day choice. Because in my mind, I'm like, oh, I forgave this person. And then something come up. And I'm like, Mm. they could go to hell. (laughs) Right. I'm not checking for them. And it's like, but... I said I forgave them on Sunday. So it's a day right. by day thing is you have to make a conscious choice. Like I and forgive hard. this person. Yeah. And it's a hard, it's a hard choice to make, but I will also say that even in that choice, you you have been able to choose like where you stand in the situation yeah. because you're no longer giving them that power. Because by choosing to hate them and choosing to be mad at them, you're giving them too much power. It's true. Just like how you said, like, oh, when you want someone to apologize to you, you're giving them power. Right. You don't want to give them that power. You gotta get to a point where I don't even need it anymore. Right. Because my decision has been made. I already decided to forgive you. Right. And also at the same time, you're probably working on your own traumas. Right. And things like that. And you know what? You probably did what you did out of whatever your experience. And I hope and pray that you receive the help and support and the guidance that you have always asked for or that mm, you need. Yeah. And that is the art of forgiveness in my opinion. Yes. You need to write a book. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I'm not there yet, but you know, maybe one day, maybe one day. Well, you well on your way. And before we wrap up, I just have a final question. What advice would you give to others who are struggling with trauma? Like you just had to give a, a quick, Quick, a quick, quick note. Yeah, quick note. Uh, yes, a note from, a note <laughs> a from Matt. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think a quick note that I would give and a bit of advice I would be is that you need to choose you. That's the first mm-hmm. thing I'll tell somebody. Choose yourself every day because um, one of the challenges that people have is that we allow too much people to have power in our lives. And you have to choose yourself so that you can do the work. Yeah. And by choosing you every day, you choose you can choose positivity. You choose your attitude. You choose how you outwardly present yourself to the world. Yeah. How you receive what the world is taking from you. So choose you every time because you can't expect to fill that choice with a significant other, mm-hmm. with someone else. Right. Like you want to be whole within yourself right. before you're able to bring that baggage, that cart, that invisible suitcase that right. you have into someone else's life. Right. Because if you haven't worked on that, 
you can't expect that person to fix it for you. And right. I think that's the biggest piece of advice that I would give the people who are listening. Choose you. Y'all, I hope y'all, I hope y'all heard that. He said, choose you. Matt, I want to just thank you for coming on today. Um, this was, I'm sure this this episode will impact a lot of people. Thank you for sharing your story. Um I know that, I, like I said, I was inspired by your story from thank the very you, first time you. I heard it. So I'm sure others will be inspired as well. And y'all, Matt is so fun. We're going to have to do a video podcast too because this is a fun man. Thank you. Um, I'm single. Okay, per. Okay, <laughs> he he had applications. Um, yes, yes. That's cuffing season is coming. It's getting chilly outside. So. <laughs> Come find Here me, on y'all. the East Coast, it's getting chilly. Okay. <laughs> all right. All Are you right. taking applicants from um, the West Coast? I'm taking all applicants. You know, as an adult now, I'm like, maybe, you know, my significant other might be in another state i don't know know. you know in the gay world like it's never the man in your state it's always somebody somewhere (laughs) else so you might as well go ahead and just open the opportunity up for the next okay so y'all heard y'all heard it here first (laughs) it's not just the east coast east coast west coast north south wherever Mm -hmm. just don't be in another country it might be a little bit work (laughs) (laughs) we all have needs child I'm not fooling with you. Yo, I'm Before we wrap today, I want to do this fun thing where it's like rapid questions and you can't Ooh. think about it. You just have to answer. Oh, it. I love this. Okay. <laughs> I'm you ready? You ready? <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Texting or talking? Talking. Favorite day of the week? Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Mondays. <laughs> okay. How long does it take you to get ready? Ooh, like over an hour. Favorite holiday? My birthday. Okay, and when's that? When's that? It is a national holiday. It is May tenth. Okay, tourist season. <laughs> May tenth is a national holiday for all of you. So just remember that. Period. <laughs> okay. Um, Pringles or Lay's? Ooh, Lay's. Mm-hmm. You don't like Pringles? I don't. You know what? Pringles we have some weird flavors sometimes. So I'll be messing with the Lay's. They do. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> um, first celebrity crush. Ooh, <sighs> Ricky Martin. What? Yes. <laughs> I had a, what? I had is that a, the one who's saying living La Vida Loca? Yes, Ricky oh, Martin. Okay, okay. You know, the funny thing is, that's that. before I thought I was gay, and I realized looking at it as an adult, like, oh boy, you was always gay. <laughs> Not you having a crush on Shebang Shebang. <laughs> no, Shebang. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Shebang. <laughs> Yeah, I am crying. I am crying. Oh my god. Okay, last two. Do you snore? Yes. Okay, and favorite junk food? Favorite junk. Ooh, I don't even. Oh, you thinking about it? Nah, cause I I (laughs) gummy bears. I'm gonna go with that. The gummy. Gummy bears. Gummies. Gummy. I love gummy bears too. Y'all, this was this was this was a great episode. Matt, again, thank you. Where can the people connect with you? Oh, you can connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at wake up underscore Mr. West. So it's at wake up a M M W A K E U P underscore Mr. as an M R West W three S T, which will eventually be changing. But um, as of right now, it is wake up Mr. West. Okay. So they have like 48 hours to follow you on that. <laughs> You're right. You know, I'm, I, I haven't decided when this month I'm going to change it, but I was throwing a name out to people. The one that you and I were talking mm-hmm. about before. And they was like, well, I love that. And I was like, it's going, it's going to come. It's gonna, gonna you want to share with the people in the, I will. I will. Cause then it will manifest and put it into like, I have to do it now. Yes. Um, so if you don't find me as wake up underscore Mr. <laughs> West, you can find me at 
at I am Matt West because uh, that is now my brand and who I am because yes. I am Matt West, the one and only. And um, I want y'all to see the journey and the work and the growth and the advocacy piece. So I am Matt West. I am not my trauma. I am yes. my story and I am my growth. So Ooh, you need to coin that. I am Matt West. I am not my what? I'm not my trauma, but I am my growth. I am my story. First, you heard it here first. Sure did. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you for tuning in this episode, and I hope that you got something from this. And um, connect with us on Instagram at a from Stokes. And also, if you like this 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 episode, rate us, leave a comment, and also holler at your man Mark. Who the who Who's is Mark? Mark? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, who is Mark? Yo, it's a long day. It's been a long Matt, day. Holla at Matt West. Take care, y'all. Love y'all. Bye.